It's so good to be here with you this morning. I know uh, I've been had an opportunity the last few months to speak at several churches, but some of them were completely virtual, so I was teaching to a camera in the back of the room, and it's so nice to see real people, so thanks. It's good to be here. Uh, my name is Chris Russell. I live in Goshen, Indiana, so I'm only about 35 minutes from my doorstep to here, and uh, my wife and I have lived there since 2010. Uh, I have four children. My oldest one graduated a year early from Miami of Ohio, which that was the good news. My wallet appreciated that. Um, the bad news is he's an art and theater major, and nobody's hiring right now. So he's kind of making ends meet right now, and he's pretty creative with that. Uh, my wife and I also have three uh, daughters. We adopted three girls uh, three years ago, so our girls are now 17, 13, and 7. So I don't know about you. Um, how many of you grew up in just a family of boys? Anybody? I grew up one of three boys, so having three girls around, that's a whole different story. <laughs> that drama level in my house uh, has gone up significantly, so, you know, I volunteer for these weekend trips on a right... No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. I love my girls. I would do absolutely anything for them, and it's uh, certainly part of the reason why I do what I do today. I, I have been a pastor for 20 years. I was at Community Church of Waterford in Goshen, and back in 2015, brought in a representative from Destiny Rescue, and it absolutely shattered our church uh, in the most beautiful way. But to, to become, you know, to come face-to-face with this reality, and then to have God break your heart in such a massive way, but then to build you back up again and be a part of the solution was a beautiful thing. And 20 years of ministry, I've never seen anything transform uh, my church family, uh, like the connection to Destiny Rescue did. Uh, Two years ago, I felt that God was calling me to leave the church family that I was leading at that time. Didn't know what I was going to. We announced October uh, of a couple years ago that I was going to be leaving. And shortly after that announcement, Destiny Rescue reached out and said, hey, let's have a conversation. And we sat down for a few hours and uh, realized that our hearts matched up perfectly for the future. So I've been working full-time with Destiny Rescue for the last two years, and I serve as our director of engagement. And I'll just be honest with you, I, I was moved into our national director of development about a year ago, and uh, just a couple months ago, I asked if I could be moved out of that position uh, because it was way too many meetings and too many pie charts and graphs and everything, and I said, I love being with people. <laughs> I love doing this. I love one-on-ones. I love going to schools and businesses. That's what I love to do, so can you free me up to do what I love to do the most. And so I've been able to shift back into the role that I started in, which allows me to be here with you. So very grateful for that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it would take much of a poll to go around uh, our, our area together today and see how many people had a crazy year in 2020. Guessing that's pretty much a unanimous vote, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but uh, one of the things that happened in 2020 for us was did a whole lot more Netflix binge-watching. Um, anybody else do a little bit more Netflix binge-watching at all? Any shows that you have been a part of? And one of the shows that my wife and I have been hooked on for a while now is called Chicago Fire. And Chicago Fire is about the, the men and women of Firehouse Station 51 in Chicago. And they are, they are broken, imperfect, messed-up people, um, just like you and me. But every shift, they put their lives on the line going out on rescue missions. And as you can imagine, that idea of a rescue mission resonates pretty deeply with me. But here's the reality is this whole idea of rescue, a rescue mission, it's been around for a long, long time. In fact, you go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, which is Genesis. And in Genesis, we read about how after God created man and women in his image, They decide, like you and I often do, that they knew better than God. And they chose not to listen to him, but instead to follow after their own desires. And that's really the easiest definition of sin that I know, is choosing our way over God's way. And the results were devastating. Their relationship with God was broken, and they began to experience the pain and the hardship of a broken world. And their decision, it didn't just have earthly consequences, it had eternal consequences. Because they chose their way over God's way, because they rebelled against their heavenly father who is holy and perfect, they were doomed to be separated from him for all of eternity. 
But God, because of his crazy love for them and because of his crazy love for you and me today, he wasn't okay with the idea of being eternally separated from his people. So he started the first and the ultimate rescue mission. And the rest of the Bible is filled with story after story of how God rescues his people. And eventually in his perfect timing, God's ultimate rescue mission included his one and only son, Jesus, coming to earth, living a perfect life, and giving his life on the cross as a perfect substitution for the penalty of sin that we all deserve. And whenever one of us places our trust in what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf, a new rescue story begins. All of us who have made the decision to follow Jesus have a rescue story. And that story is going to look different for each one of us. But it's something about how Jesus came along and rescued us from something. And now he gives us the hope of glory and the promise of eternity with him. And every one of those stories is worthy of celebration. It was last year, this month, that I was leading the funeral of my dad. Uh, my dad passed away December 31st of 2019. So it was just a couple weeks ago, that was a year ago, that I was leading that funeral in Georgia. And one of the things I remember, my dad, I don't know about you, but my dad, if you have any relatives that struggled with this as well, but my dad um, had a battle with dementia for five years. And I'm guessing some of you have family members who are in that battle or maybe were in that battle at some point. So went through that difficult time of years of progression where dad ultimately forgot who I was, forgot who my brothers were. Even at the end, he knew mom was somebody special, but he couldn't quite place who she was. And on December 31st, you know, one of the things, I don't know, my dad loved to dance. Like right, right up to the end, if they started music at the retirement center that he was at, my dad would just get up and just start moving around a little bit. And he just, he loved music. And uh, we just kind of decided that uh, dad wasn't okay with uh, the retirement center was going to have a New Year's party at 3, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And we just decided dad decided that wasn't good enough, a 3 p.m. retirement center New Year's party. So he went to be with the Lord and joined the real party for New Year's Eve that year. But one of the things that I always remember about my dad was back in the 90s, my dad had a deep conviction from the Lord that he needed to get better at learning how to share his faith with others. And he didn't know how to do that. He had never really done that much in his life. So he started taking classes at his, with his church family about how do we share our faith and he would call me, I mentioned, you know, was in ministry and had lots of great conversations with him about what does it mean to share the love of Christ with others and draw them to him. And my dad's motivation in all of that was his dad, my grandpa. So my grandpa was 90 years old at the time and did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So my dad kept taking classes. He kept getting into conversations with me and he kept just praying fervently for his dad. And then those classes and that effort turned into him driving from Pittsburgh up to mid-state New York every other weekend to be able to share the gospel with my grandfather. And then it happened. At the age of 91, my grandfather made a decision for Jesus Christ. And I remember a couple months later, my grandpa came to our house for Thanksgiving meal. And everybody has different traditions for Thanksgiving, but my father always leads the prayer for Thanksgiving meal. And my grandfather asked if he could do the prayer that year. And, um, you know, to this day, <laughs> I don't remember a single word that man prayed, but I do remember it being the most beautiful prayer I'd ever heard in my entire life. My grandpa started a new rescue story when he was 91 years old. And now my grandpa and my dad are reunited for all of, all of glory. 
But here, here's what I want you to understand with that story. We know Jesus is the ultimate rescuer. But what Jesus does for you and what Jesus does for me, he invites us to join him in doing for others. God takes broken, messed up, imperfect people like you and me, and he allows us to join him on rescue. And my dad, who was an amazing man, but far from perfect, God used him in an amazing way to reach out to my grandpa to launch a brand new rescue story. Our spiritual rescue is the ultimate rescue, but there are many other types of rescue that our father invites us to join him in carrying out. And throughout the Bible, we read account after account of God calling his people to step into situations to help rescue others from all kinds of injustices. We see Noah who's called to rescue the few remaining faithful before the flood came. We read about Moses who's, who was used to set thousands and thousands of Hebrew slaves free from the Egyptians. We learn about a young queen named Esther who helped rescue her people from certain destruction. And we read about miracles performed by the apostles to bring healing and wholeness. And that list goes on and on and on. People being rescued from pain and suffering. People being rescued from hardened hearts. People being rescued from abuse and neglect. Rescued from guilt and shame. Rescued from injustices. The theme of rescue saturates our scriptures. And all of these rescue stories, they start with God ultimately. But there is often a time where he's going to stir inside of you and me to join him in his rescue efforts. And when he stirs, we need to be obedient and we need to step into those tough situations. We need to be faithful and we need to seek out those who are lost. And we need to be relentless about setting the captives free. And I don't know of a person on this planet who is more relentless and helping to set the captives free than Tony Kerwin, who is my teammate and the founder of Destiny Rescue. So Tony, back in 1998, Tony went with his wife to Thailand on vacation. And while they were in Thailand, they learned about this dark, ugly reality that you could literally, at that time, buy a child for $300. $300. You could buy a child for $300, and it was just a few bucks to be able to take them and use them and use their bodies. And their prayer became, God, have mercy on these kids. Who wouldn't pray that, right? Any of us that sees the situation, God, have mercy on these kids. And they went back to Australia, which is where they're from, and then God did, did what he often does. He didn't let go. And something started to stir inside of them that wouldn't let go, and they realized that God had a bigger calling for their life. And over those couple of years, as they discerned this, that prayer changed from God have mercy on these kids to God have mercy on us if we don't do something to help these kids. And they sold everything they had, and they moved to Thailand in 2001 and started rescuing children. Tony has one of my favorite sayings from Tony that it's so simple, but it is so packed full of truth. When it comes to social justice, he simply says this, you have two choices. You can do nothing or you can do something. Would you say that with me? You have two choices. You can what? Do nothing or do something. Now, I'm guessing most of you are familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I'm not interested in getting into who's who, what role they played in society or anything, but what, what's the gist of that story? There's a man who's going down the road. He gets jumped by robbers. He gets beaten half to death and left at the side of the road. And three individuals come along. And what's it tell us? The first person, they come along, they see the injustice, but they just keep right on down the road. Didn't phase them. The second person comes along. Some translations tell us that they went over and took a closer look at the situation. So they're, they're seeing the same injustice as the first person saw. But when it's all said and done, they decide to go back 
to life as usual. And why is that? They had two choices. They could what? Do nothing or do something. But then this third person comes along. They see the same injustice that the first two saw, but something, something stirs inside and they can't just simply go back to life as usual. They have to step into a difficult situation and do something about it. And that's my prayer for you. As a a church family, for you as individuals, I pray that God breaks you today in the most beautiful way that he can. And I pray that if you become that third person in the story, as we look at this, as we take a closer and deeper look at this injustice today, I pray that if you are that third person where God gets a hold of you and stirs, that you refuse to go back to life as usual, that you step into that difficult situation and you make the commitment to do something about it. Psalms 82, verses three and four. It says, give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. And listen to this. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. What we're talking about today, that is a literal living out of that verse. Rescue them from the grasp of of evil people. Now, any of you football fans, you've been watching? Who are you going for today? Anybody? Anybody care that the Cleveland Browns are in the playoffs? Does anybody really care about that? I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm a little bitter. I'm a little bitter, okay? So the NFL is our most profitable sport by far, okay? Last year, the NFL made a profit of $8 billion, They make money hand over fist. That's a profit margin, $8 billion. Baseball, basketball, hockey, and football combined made a profit of over $30 billion last year. All right? So let's give that perspective. Human trafficking, which is the fastest growing criminal activity in the world, there are now more slaves in the world than any time in the history of the world, Human trafficking made over $150 billion last year. And 99 billion of that was specifically sex trafficking. Now we're sitting here in a nice comfortable place with people who love us. We feel completely safe here, don't we? But as you and I are sitting here, Children are being sold. People are being sold all over this country. The hour that we're, like, we've just been together an hour so far, traffickers have made over $11 million in the last hour on using and abusing people, and a lot of those are children. The church doesn't get to stick its head in the sand on this one. That verse that I read, that's the calling for all of God's people, not just a select few. That's for all of us. Those are our marching orders. We don't get to stick our heads in the sand. We are called to join God on our rescue mission. And because of people like you, because of churches like yours, we have been able to rescue almost 6,000 individuals out of trafficking. Now, you can imagine this last year, 2019, we rescued 1,426 individuals. You can imagine this past year, was a lot more difficult with doing rescue. Many of the countries where we rescue were completely in shutdown mode and our undercover agents weren't able to get out nearly as much as they used to do. But at the end of the year, I know as of the final week going into Christmas, uh, we had been able to rescue 655 individuals still in 2020. And what's exciting for me, and you're the first church that gets to hear about it, I just got the final numbers from the last week of last year The last week alone, we did several raids and rescued 92 individuals the last week of 2020. So so we're still going to be over 750 rescues from last year, even in the midst of this, this challenge of COVID. And what's really sad, though, is we're talking trafficking is such a huge thing, especially in major, major third world countries. 
And because of this COVID crisis, you have families that are even more desperate now. And we're going to see tens of thousands of more children being trafficked as a result of this pandemic that we've been going through. Right now, we currently rescue in eight different countries. Our 10-year goal is by the end of 2030 to be rescuing in 30 countries and to have rescued 100,000 individuals. And to do that, it's going to take an army. It's going to take an army of all of us. <laughs> it's going to take me doing what I can do. It's going to take our undercover rescue agents doing what they can do, our front lines people doing what they can do. It's going to take your church family and you as individuals doing your part. But it is going to take an army to do this. The enemy has stolen so many kids, and we're going to keep fighting until we get as many back as possible. So how does, how does all this happen? How many of you have heard of Destiny Rescue before just the last couple of weeks as it's been getting promoted? A couple of you. Okay. Our frontline team is constantly on the lookout for children who are being preyed upon and exploited. Girls like Lee, who at the age of 15 was kicked out of her house in her small village and she was told by her mother that she was dead weight and she needed to start making money to support her family. So she took the six-hour ride to the city to find work at a restaurant, but she was quickly tricked into going to a bar where she was given a room. And that very first night, one man after another started showing up and used her over and over and over again. And she was forced to drink a lot of alcohol and take drugs. And if she refused any man, she was beaten severely. Girls like Bodum, who grew up in a loving home, but her dad died and her family was left with a huge debt. Her mother only made a mere $38 a month selling mangoes in her small village, so she sent Bodum out to search for a job at a nearby city. And Bodum was a naive girl, and she was preyed upon by a trafficker and forced to work at a brothel where men used her over and over again, and she felt dirty and full of shame. Girls like Noi, who remember spending her days in her room at the brothel crying until it was time to go to work again. She was always afraid of the violent men, and she felt worthless as everyone just saw her as a prostitute and nothing more. Our team is relentless about finding these kinds of children and setting them free to live out their God-preferred futures. So how do, we, how do we go about doing that? Let's talk about the first part, rescue. Obviously, we, we want to make sure that this either doesn't happen to any children or those who it's happening to, we want to make sure that they get out. So we really have overall, we've got like 12 different categories of rescue we do, but there's really primarily four. One that we kind of group everybody into is it's actually called intervention. And that's where we're um, intervening with situations like kids who are forced to do street begging or labor trafficking. Um, Old Testament, you read about Old Testament like temple prostitution. That's very much happening in the world today still. We've been rescuing 12 and 13-year-old girls out of temple prostitution situations. Um, but the other three that I want to spend a little bit more time talking about, because there are major ones, um, are going to be, uh, we're going to talk about border stations, raids, and covert rescues. So border stations, well, let, let me give you the big picture here. Of let, Let's pretend we're looking at a world map as far as where trafficking is happening the most. It's, it's happening in every country on the planet. So don't for a second think that it's not happening right here in Michigan. But to just show you how skewed where it's happening is going on, if you look at a world map of those million children we're talking about, 73% of those children are in Southeast Asia. 73%. Comparison is the Western Hemisphere, North, Central, South America combined is about 4% of the children who are being trafficked. So think about that. If you follow that in the news about how much trafficking is going on here, just to amplify that by that much more to imagine what's going on there. And what you have, you have some different things that are going on there. You have a lower view of women in general. That happens in Southeast Asian culture. You have less opportunities uh, for women. There's a mindset about this is okay in general. And you have this added pressure on the oldest girl who's responsible for taking care of the family and their parents as they get older as well. You put all of those together and it creates this horrible, perfect storm of creating a huge, huge trafficking industry. And like I said, Southeast Asia, is those numbers are only going to go up now because of that much more poverty because of the pandemic. So when we're doing rescue, 
one of the ways that we do rescue is we do what we call border stations. Now, what I love about the border stations is this is preemptive rescues. We're rescuing children before they get abused. And what's happening is some of the countries, now we have eight countries we're working in. The ones I can talk about publicly by name are Cambodia, Thailand, Nepal, the Philippines, and then the Dominican Republic in the Western Hemisphere. We have three other countries that we call undisclosed nations. And we simply, especially in social media, only refer to them as that because they are very anti-Christian nations and it puts our frontline workers at risk for these countries to know that our undercover agents are operating in those countries. So Nepal has a bordering country that is huge with trafficking. And what happens is Nepal is one of the poorest countries on the planet. You have men and women who are going from this other country into Nepal. They're finding these poorest villages. And what they're doing is they're promising the girls a great paying job in their country. Now, it's very common. These are open borders. Thousands of people are crossing the borders every day. There's nothing uncommon about that for people to go work and across the border. So they're promising them these great jobs, or they're playing this ruse where they've pretended to fall in love with the girl, and they want to take her back to their country and get married and give her the life of her dreams. Now, what happens there is we have 10 border stations, and we're getting ready to go to 14 border stations, and almost all of our agents at these border stations are female. They're working 10-hour days in 100-degree heat. And they have permission from the government to stop anybody who looks underage as they're crossing that border. And they ask them a series of questions. Now, the traffickers are not with the girls when they're crossing the border. Why? Because they know our agents are there. So they try to coach up the girls ahead of time and say, hey, when you get there, you just tell them this, you tell them this, you tell them this. But our ladies are highly trained on how to read between the lines, and they ask them a series of questions about who bought you this, where are you going, what are you going to do there, where you promise this, where you promise that. And if any red flags go up, they call back to the family to find out, do the parents realize their daughter is at the border getting ready to cross into this other country? 99% of the time, the parents had no idea their daughter was at the border getting ready to cross into another country. And if she had taken one step into that other country, she would have never been seen again by her family. She would have been stepping into one of the darkest places on the planet when it comes to trafficking. So the good news with that is those are preemptive rescues. So the kids haven't been abused yet, but it was a guarantee that that's what was going to happen if we didn't make that rescue. That's about a quarter of our rescues that we do. Another quarter of our rescues is what we call covert rescues. Covert rescues are where we're going in and we're pretending to be customers, okay? So we're going, now I'm not an undercover agent, I'm based here out of the US, but we do have team trips. There's information on that if you ever have an interest in that and things ever open up again to go on team trips. Uh, but typically about 14 or 15 times a year, people will go over for a two week trip. And part of that is you get to see firsthand what's going on. Like when we go on a team trip, we're doing a walkthrough through a red light district. So you see, this is the atmosphere that these kids are caught in on seven days a week. This is the atmosphere that they are in, forced to work in. Uh, you also get to go to our rescue homes where you get to interact and meet girls who have been rescued. We might go to a village where a girl we rescued years before now has kids and is married, has a family of her own, and we might go do a work project in one of those villages. So it's, it's an amazing opportunity. But one of the things that I get to do when I go over is I get to go out with our undercover agents. So when we're going out on covert rescues, we're going into you know, these red light districts, these bar districts, and we're walking in like we're a group of guys that's out for a good time for the night. That's a tough thing to do, let me tell you. You have to, I, I'm good at compartmentalizing, which is really good and very helpful in that situation to pretend to be like, this is what you're out to have fun for. So we're going into uh, a bar in the red light district. So I just want you to picture, like, just imagine one city block, all right? On each side of the road, there's about a dozen bars on each side of the road, neon lights outside and everything like that. The girls are outside these bars, and when you go walking down the street, they come out, and they're trying, their job is to try to get you to come into their establishment. So we're going down the street. They're pulling us in there. We're sitting down. You order a drink, and then the girls gather around your table, and you literally, that's how you, you know, nobody cares what their names are. You're there for one reason and one reason only. 
So these girls gather around your table and you choose who you want to sit with them. Some of the places you go into, the girls literally have numbers pinned onto their outfits and that's how you order them for the night. All right. That's the value the world has placed on these girls. And speaking of value, when we were talking about what's a life worth and everything earlier, the best number I've heard so far, the most accurate number I've heard so far is the average cost. Listen to this. When we talk about the value compared to as daughters of the king of kings and lord of lords, the value they have compared to the world. The average cost to have sex with a child worldwide is $4.35. That's the value the world places on these girls. $4.35. And it's very common as they're working a night that they are forced to be with anywhere from seven to 10 customers on a regular basis each night. That's, that's the reality. I know we were talking about this is a tough topic for us to talk about, but we, we need to see this. And as followers of Christ, we need to see this and have a better understanding of this. I mean, this is what God's seeing every day. Imagine what this does to God's heart to see this reality. So we're going into these places and we're pretending to be customers and we're having the girls sit with us and then we're going into information gathering mode. So I'm trying to get her name, I'm trying to get her contact information, whatever I can do to verify that she is underage. And then our hope is that we build enough trust that after a couple nights of visiting, I'm gonna pay what's called the bar fine. So let's, let's say you own a bar and you have 10 girls that are there. If I'm gonna take a girl away for the night, I need to compensate you because she'd be working for you and selling drinks and making money for you. So I, I have to compensate you. So I'm gonna pay him maybe $50. I'm going to pay the bar fine to take the girl with me. And then I'm going to negotiate a price with the girl and I'm going to take her wherever I want, do whatever I want all night long. And she's going to show up at work the next night and it's going to start all over again for her. But what we do is we build enough of a trust level with them that we pay that bar fine. And then we take her a few blocks away where one of our caseworkers or one of our native undercover agents is able to say, hey, this is who we really are. This is what we can do. This is how we can help you get out of this situation and live out your God preferred future and then they can choose to go into our care at that point. That's about a quarter of our rescues. And then the other half of our rescues are what we call raids. Now, to do raids, you have to have what's called an MOU. It's a Memorandum of Understanding. That's simply the legal jargon that means we're working hand-in-hand -hand with that local government against this issue. But now that takes whole things to a whole new level because now our guys are going in and they've got the hidden body cameras on their bodies, on their backpacks, and they're going in, and now we're not just looking for underage girls. Now we're also gathering video evidence against the traffickers, against those businesses that are using kids. And when we get enough evidence, we go to the local police, and they say, yep, we're good to go. Let's go in. We go in, we do a joint raid, and we will hit that place. We will take everybody who's being forced to work there. We will arrest the traffickers. We will shut down establishments, and we will prosecute every single one of those traffickers to the fullest extent of the law. So in places like the Philippines, where we do a lot of raid work, like last year, we did 53 raids, made 54 arrests. We averaged 13 rescues on each of those raids. And we were able to shut down a number of establishments. And in the Philippines, if you have three or more, if you have three minors that you're trafficking, that's a life sentence. And for every child over three, that's an added life sentence. So they come down on a heart, which they should, right? But that's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about um, with raids is being able to go in and get the traffickers and close down the establishments, which are using these kids as well. So th those are our, our three main one things here. So I, I got a short video. Uh, it's about four minutes long. And this is our founder, Tony. And he's going to tell you his memory from one of the covert rescues that he went out when he's going in pretending to be a customer into one of these bars and brothels. Uh, it's about a four-minute video, so I want you to, to hear from him and hear his heart on this issue. Phone call from one of the boys who was in a brothel. He was really desperate. He said he had a 13-year-old girl and there was um, heaps of guys that were trying to take this kid off him and he was scared he was going to get violent, so... One of the boys and I jumped on our bikes and we headed straight over there and it was um, quite a small grubby little bar, about four or five tables. All of them were filled with guys drinking beer and 
uh, basically staring at the young girls that were handing out the drinks. And I went over and sat down at the table with the boys. And as I did, I noticed in the back corner there looked like a um, stairwell going down underneath the floor. So I snuck over there and went down those stairs to see what was down there. And as I got down there, I could see they dug out underneath the brothel and built roughly about seven small rooms. And it was just like a thick smell of stale sweat. It was really quite disgusting. And I walked around the corner and um, as soon as I got around there, I could see straight away these pair of small red shoes that um, some kid had obviously kicked off as she was taken into the room. And um, as I stood there feeling really helpless, I could um, hear what was going on in that room. And um, I just rem remember standing there, realizing what that 13 year old kid that we had up at the table upstairs, what she would have to do every single night. And I knew if we didn't do something tonight, she would end up down here at some point doing what that girl was doing right then. So I went back upstairs and sat down next to that kid. And, and as I did that, the agent leant over to me and he said, um, this girl's been here for about a week. And every night, um, usually four or five times, she gets taken downstairs and um, she's forced to have sex with customers and basically raped by these violent men. And um, I looked over at this kid and she was looking at me and her eyes just, she was petrified and um, it was like she was begging me to um, do something to get her out of that place. So I um, called the mama son, the brothel owner over and I um, said I wanted to take this kid back to my hotel room and we negotiated a price to do that. In the brothel owner's mind I was taking her away to have sex but what was really happening is we were taking her away to her freedom. And we just stood up and this kid took my hand and we walked out that brothel. She jumped on the back of my bike and we took off to one of our rescue homes. And as we arrived, I looked back and I just saw this gorgeous smile on this kid's face as she realized that what we were saying was true. And um, she went to bed and I, I think she slept for one or two days, which is quite normal. And um, something these kids often say is, you know, that's the first time I can remember in a long time that I've been able to go to bed and just sleep. And, um, you know, my dream is that all children will be able to go to bed and sleep and not work. I have a, a photo on my mobile phone of those little red shoes as a constant reminder that there's still one more out there. One more kid worth rescuing, never to stop. Every kid is worth the risk, worth the love, worth the cost. I absolutely love hearing frontline stories of when our agents get to go in in those moments of rescue where that life is done for that girl. But what I want you to understand also is that that is not the beginning of her rescue story. Their rescue stories did not start the day that those rescue agents showed up and got them out of that situation. Their rescue stories started on a morning just like today where God stirred in the hearts of his people to do something. And when people respond and do something, that starts in motion a chain of events that ultimately leads to our rescue agents being able to get those girls out. But that's what I want you to think about today is that you have the opportunity, if God is stirring in your heart, to be obedient to that and to launch a brand new rescue story today of a girl who has no idea that help and hope are on the way. You have a chance to be able to send that and start her story.
Now, rescue obviously is a massive part of what we do, but it can't stop there. We can't be just about rescuing kids. We want to make sure that they stay free. So restoration is a big part of what we do too. Not just setting free, but staying free. We want to make sure that we come alongside these girls and that we're able to meet their physical, their emotional, their educational, their psychological, and their spiritual needs as well. And everybody's path path to freedom is what we call that. Everybody's is going to be unique based on what their needs are. But we want to make sure that we are behind them and with them and beside them for the long haul. So restoration is a big part of that. And then ultimately, reintegration is something that we want to be about doing. These girls have to get back in society at some point, and they have to be able to safely take care of themselves and their families. So we partner with about 150 different NGO, non-government organizations around the world, that specialize in a whole bunch of different things. Now, I know I talk about underage girls being rescued. We do rescue boys. Actually, the year before, 2019, 7% of our rescues were males. But part of some of our partnerships are with organizations and ministries that specialize in aftercare for males. So when we rescue males, we refer them to that ministry. We also rescue a number of people who are, especially in that 18 to 25 age range, Everything we do starts with looking for underage girls, but in that process, if I'm going, let's go back to our example where we had, you know, going into this bar, I send my guys in, they gather evidence. I think you have two underage girls working, so that's why I send them in to begin with. But when we go and do the raid, I'm taking all 10 of the kids that you have, whether they're under 18 or not. We're taking all 10 of them. So as a result of that, we end up with a lot over 18 that we rescue, especially in that like 18 to 25 age range. But that's the dynamic that leads to that. Does that make sense? It all starts with looking for underage girls. But in the midst of that, if we have opportunities to rescue others, by golly, you bet we're going to do that. (laughs) Absolutely. But we want to make sure that they stay free for the long haul. So some of the ministries that we partner with are also job training ministries. So these girls are able to do jobs. Now we used to have It used to be three things. We used to have the girls made jewelry. Um, They would work in our, we had these cafes, kind of training grounds, and then hair salons. Those were the three that we're doing. But we've actually shut down the cafes and we've discontinued the jewelry because the longer we've done this and the better organizations we've been able to partner with, the better opportunities we've been able to provide the girls. So we actually now have girls who are taking all kinds of college classes, cafe and hotel management. We've got one uh, young lady that is... She works for a graphic design uh, company in her country and is one of the highest ranked employees in that. And recently, that border stations that I was telling you about, the Nepalese police force are there, but our, our female agents that are working there, one of the girls we rescued years ago just finished her training for the Nepalese police force. And now she's a police officer working those border stations to rescue other kids. And I think that's pretty cool to be able to see that kind of growth. But we want to see each girl thrive in life and follow after this Jesus who's crazy about them. You know, Shrey Nye was a young lady that uh, called one of our team members a few years ago. She had been rescued in one of our projects in Cambodia. Um, She was now fully reintegrated. She was living back uh, in her home village again. She was thriving in her walk with God. She was married. They just had their their first baby uh, child was a boy. And when she had left our project, she had gotten a job sewing garments um, in a, she was sewing clothes in a garment factory. And now just two years later, she was a supervisor overseeing four groups of managers and more than 200 employees. And she loves to encourage and lead them just as she was led and encouraged in her time at one of our rescue homes. And her biggest gratitude was that Destiny Rescue introduced her to Jesus Christ And now she has found such great joy and peace, trusting in his plan for her life. So how do you join us in starting some new rescue stories? So there's a couple different things here. Let me talk about the the financial side of stuff, uh, because obviously that's an important component of it. And then as a pastor, I can't help but talk about the faith igniting side of things as well. So on the financial side, there's two primary ways people can get involved in. One is the rescue a child. We know because we cover, you know, we, we keep track of the operations of, of our operations that we do. We know for every $1,500 that gets raised, we're going to have a child rescued. If that's used in a raid situation, it's a guarantee that a child's going to get rescued, and there's a good chance you're probably going to rescue three or four individuals. 
but we divide our operational costs by how many children are rescued. So we know every $1,500 that's raised, a child is gonna get rescued. Now you all know we live in the richest country on the planet in the history of the world. And you and I, all of us, have the amount of money that goes in and out of our hands through the course of a lifetime is a staggering amount. And for me, I don't know of anything I could do personally with $1,500 that is more meaningful or more impactful than the idea of rescuing a child from sex trafficking. So if that's something God stirs in your heart to do and you have the capacity to do that, maybe that's an easy check for you to write. Maybe there's some sacrifice. That's okay too, to make it a sacrificial giving thing. Then, then be obedient and do that. The other main thing we have is what we call rescue partners. So out at our table, uh, I've got these brochures out there, rescue partners. This is a monthly um, commitment that you sign up for. It can be any amount. I, I literally have people who do $5 a month. I have people who do hundreds of dollars a month. But this is the core of how we start rescue stories on a monthly basis. Know that there's thousands of people around our country who are giving their part. So together, we're launching hundreds and hundreds of new rescue stories uh, every single month. And here's the extra thing I brought for you guys, because I've got a limited supply on these, but I wanted to bring them for your church family, was that if you sign up as a rescue partner or you give, gave anything today uh, towards, towards Destiny Rescue, uh, out at the table, there's these friendship bracelets. These friendship bracelets are made by girls that we have rescued out of trafficking. Um, so these are extremely meaningful to me, and I would hope are very meaningful to you. And these are something that if you don't wear them, maybe you can hang them on a mirror uh, somewhere or put them somewhere at work that's just this constant visual reminder for you to pray uh, for these children and, and what's happening with them and how to, to be a part of that. So those are the two on the financial thing. But for me, it's about this being a faith activating thing for you. I know as a Christ follower, I want to be as much like Jesus as I can. And for us to do that, that means the things that matter the most and are the nearest and dearest to the heart of God have to be the same things that matter the most and are the nearest and dearest to the hearts of his kids. This matters to the heart of our God. So I know by being a part of this fight, it's making me more like Jesus. And I would hope that all of our goals is to, to, to be more like Jesus. And I know there's a lot of great ministries that you can give to. You guys, I see the board out there. You guys are involved with all kinds of stuff, which is, it was phenomenal. So again, this is about if God's stirring in there. This isn't any kind of a guilt thing at all or a push thing. This is about if, if God's stirring in you to do something, and be, be obedient to that and respond to that. But this is the part that I love the most. This is about you using your voice and your influence. If you're on social media, we are on uh, a couple different platforms, Instagram or Facebook. If you follow us on that, share the post. Every week we're putting stories about kids who have been rescued. We're doing informational, educational pieces on there. Share those, but don't just share them. Add your voice to the conversation. Tell the people that you're connected with on Facebook or Instagram, why does this matter to you and why does it need to matter to them? Add your voice, okay? The other thing I would encourage you for, and this is the part that I love to do, is coming alongside people and being the cheerleader for that, is what is it that you can do to rescue a child in the next year? Because earlier we talked about a million kids. You, you can't be the difference for all, but you can be all the difference for one. So what can you do in the next year to rescue a child? Now, a lot of people, maybe you have the ability to do that yourself, $1,500, but a lot of people don't have that. So what are the things that you can do? Who are the people that you are already in circles with doing stuff with that can just do something on purpose? And let me give you some examples of that because that's kind of what gets things, gets things going and everything like that. I have a motorcycle group in Fort Wayne. Anybody ride motorcycles at all? I've got a motorcycle group in Fort Wayne. Every year they do a ride. They're going to do the ride anyway. They just decide everybody gives so much and they're going to uh, have food and they have merchandise. This year they had a motorcycle that they fixed up and they raffled off. This is the fourth year that they've done their ride. They raised $7,000 this last year doing a motorcycle ride that they like. I don't know if any of you are runners, but we have a program called Race to Rescue. I know in the Fort Wayne area, they have Fort for Fitness. People just sign up for that. They're going to do it anyway, but then they just create a classy page with us and they tell their family and friends, hey, I'm running, but I want to do it for a cause. So I want to rescue a kid. Would you consider supporting me and helping to rescue a kid? We had 12 churches that put teams in that last year. They went out and ran. They did what they loved, what they were going to do anyway. They raised $42,000 towards rescuing kids. We have youth groups that take these bracelet bundles. Typically, we sell these for $5 each. They'll take a bracelet bundle of 300. They sell them to their friends and family for $5 each. They just rescued a kid. Right? 
It's not rocket science. It's about what do you already like to do? What do you have experience in? What do you have expertise in? What do you already have a passion for? Now just use it on purpose. I had, uh, Pastor, I had a very unique experience this past Monday. I was in Allen County, and I met with over 200 of the church leaders from the Amish community there. There's about 5,000 in the Amish community there. And they're sitting there, and their churches are each looking by themselves to do a couple rescues this year. There's 25 churches in Allen County. So together, they're going to, just by doing that challenge, rescue at least two kids, each church do that, let alone the other stuff that they're going to do. But just from a church budget standpoint, each church is going to rescue two kids with their main budget. That's going to be 50 kids rescued every single year from that community. But it's just people rising up and saying, you know what? All of us need to do our part. What's your part? God has given you amazing creativity. God has given you experience. He's given you passions, and those are not to be wasted. You can use all of those for amazing things. Two summers ago, I had two seven-year-old girls that did lemonade stands all summer long. (laughs) Those two seven-year-olds raised over $2,000. Two seven-year-olds rescued a kid. There's no end to the creativity that can happen here. This is just about if God is stirring in you, then man, use those God-given creativity juices that you've got. Use that knowledge that you've got. Get other people who have a passion for it and figure out what you can do. That's what it comes down to. You have tremendous influence and you have a powerful voice. Use it. Do something. Those are your choices. Do nothing or do something. Use your voice. Use your influence. Raise awareness raise resources, set kids free. Let me finish the time by just telling you a quick story from, uh, you know, we just passed Christmas and one of my favorite stories is from one of our girls that I mentioned earlier, Mew. So Mew went to one of our rescue homes. Mew ultimately went into our cosmetology program and went on to open up a salon with one of her friends that we had rescued as well. Uh, At one point we were able to meet with Mew's mom and figure out if that was a safe relationship to reconnect. Because here's the sad statistic too. When we're talking about human trafficking in general, over 40% of people who are trafficked, it starts with a family member. So we need to do our homework and we need to vet people to make sure that reconnecting them is a good thing. And that, that was a safe place to put her back with her mom. But a few years ago, she was at one of our Christmas parties. And you can imagine a bunch of, you know, 12, imagine a room full of 12 to 17 year old girls. That gets a little bit rowdy. And a little, little bit of giggling going on as they're sharing and goofing and having, having a fun time. But then at some point in the conversation, the conversation took a turn and it got more serious. And they started to share a little bit of their stories and they started to share what they had been rescued out of. And Mew got up, pretty quiet girl. She started to share her story. And when she was done sharing, she looked at our rescue agents and she looked at our caseworkers and she simply said this, thank you for considering my life worthy enough to come and rescue. These girls are not $4.35. They are daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and they are priceless, and they are worth fighting for. And we're going to continue to do that, and we're going to trust that God's going to raise up an army right here in this church family to be a part of that fight as well. So thank you for allowing us to be here today. Welcome to the fight.